All right, this is the very first episode of the In Lieu of University podcast. I'll make a short episode soon to explain how this podcast came to be for anyone who's interested. But in short, I'm taking a year off from doing computer science at the University of Kansas and instead will be using my time to pursue my own interests and craft my own sort of education. So in lieu of you is kind of a knowledge project where I'll be sharing what I'm learning and who I'm talking to, as well as to develop my own view of the world and expose it to criticism. I think that's probably one of the more important things I should be doing in my life right now, and it's one of the things I think my entire life in public education and university has failed to help me cultivate. So that kind of brings me to my conversation today, which is about the ways our education system in America is failing our young people. My conversation is with Art Smith, an educator and coach of both soccer and tennis in the Liberty Public School District in Missouri, as well as a founder of a new education framework called Unschool Challenge, which is a ground-up rethinking of how we should be educating our kids. We talk about that, we talk about the over a century old education model we still for some reason use in America, as well as what education ought to be doing for our kids. Uh, The parallels of educating and coaching and how sports fit into a child's development. I've always been really frustrated by how inefficient and relatively impotent the public education system is. And I view it as one of the largest roadblocks standing in the way of America's progress. Kids are brimming with potential, and it's an absolute tragedy that they're forced into such a constraining and defeating system with perverse incentives. Art Smith could talk about education for hours, and I regret turning off the microphone at the end of the podcast because we did just keep talking about the problems and potential solutions that exist here. I should probably mention that the quality of the audio is definitely not what I wanted it to be, so I apologize for that, but that's just something we can improve next time. So without further ado, here's one of many conversations that need to take place to rethink education in America. So to start, in your view, what are the biggest failures of the American public education system? Man, big question off the, from the bat. Um, well, I mean, as a, it's a very complex system. Um, you know, the, the nationalized industrial model of school that we currently have has been around since the late 1800s um, and it was pushed in state by state over about a 40 to 50 year period um, across the United States in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, And to be honest, it was just built for a different time um, in which uh, our factory model and our industrialized model um, was was most prevalent um, in our economic structure. And that had an effect on the society that was perpetuated throughout our country. Um, and kind of permeated all aspects of our life. Um, And I don't probably think that that system was good for kids then, but it it prepared, it got, you know, 
it got some women out of a rural life and into a situation where they had independence so they could make money and they could be independent. Um, we had child labor laws come in place so kids weren't working in factories and they were in school. So there's probably a natural progression of things that school allowed society to start to do for different groups of people, um, help immigrants become educated, you know what I mean, and, and have a, a solid base of a nationalistic curriculum. So there are definitely things that are positive about it over time, but when you look at the large scale um, byproduct of a system that is built on a bell schedule, um, you know, a lot of obedience, um, a lot of prescribed curriculum, um, not a lot of personalization, not a lot of autonomy, um, not a lot of choice. Um, and when you look at the amount of time kids spend in that system from the time they're, you know, five years old until the time they are 18, that's a lot of time that is spent in a certain model um, that I don't know um, that there's a there's a huge exponential benefit or value to a kid's life to some kids lives from being in that model and so when you ask the question what are the biggest issues I think my biggest concern is simply the fact that um, I worry about the cumulative effect of children being still continue to be an industrialized model and system from the time they're five to the time they're 18. And then they go to a little bit uh, of a you know collegiate model that still looks a little bit like that, depending on where you go. Um, and then a lot of times our, our, our young adults may be in their 30s or 40s before they realize maybe that what they're doing for a profession isn't totally matched up to the things that give them purpose. And for me, that should be the, pur the purpose of a, of a school system, of a nationalized model for all kids, is to help them match um, what they're good at with what they find most purposeful in life. And so I don't know that our system has been doing that. I don't know that it's still doing it now. I think we've just had this system for 125 years and people forget that we had a time when we didn't have this system. Um, and we had lots of apprenticeships and a lot of, uh, you know, local, local ways for people to get knowledge and, and you figured out what you wanted to learn and you went off somewhere to learn it. And uh, now we've got the internet, which kind of makes information acquisition ubiquitous. And that's changed the game a lot and changed it very rapidly. And, and our designs for school systems are now trying to catch up so that they can take advantage of that. But our systems definitely don't give kids choice, they don't personalize things for kids, they don't give kids agency, true authentic agency over their own learning process. Um, and to be honest, I mean, I, I worry that they, um, they at times inhibit a child's overall development and sense of self because of, the, of, of a lack of choice and a lack of agency that they have for 12 years. So many times kids just check out of that system by fifth or sixth grade intrinsically, and they, they're motivated by extrinsic measures and grades and carrots and money and an incentivized system rather yes. than motivated by the fact that, you know, learning is just a positive thing and being curious is a positive thing. And I need to be in an environment where I know that that system is always gonna support my interests and my curiosity once I have maybe a foundational basis, base, uh, a 
of skills or knowledge to move wherever I want and have that be flexible. And I think that's better off for the kid. And I think it's better off for uh, society and the economy because eventually you've got happier people and you've got an economy has people that are, that are searching for the job that matches their ability with their interest, which is gonna give you a much happier long-term employee in the end anyway. So that's a really long answer to the first question. No, yeah, you I'm said- trying to explain it. You said a lot of great things there. Um, you talked about the internet, you talked about the system uh, inhibiting kids' agencies, you talked about the outdated model, and I wanted to talk about the outdated model, the 125 years, um, your old industrial model of education, what are the huge uh, things in the way of changing that model? Well, a lot of it is just tradition, um, you know, and, and that tradition is deeply rooted um, in a system that looks the same across all local entities, across all state entities, and across a national entity. So you've got one model that has been proliferated across an entire country, across 50 independent states, and it's been adopted. And so when you, you know, it's kind of like the interdependent, you know, the, you, know, you, ever, you pull on one string and it pulls another string, and you pull on this string and it pulls five other strings. And so when you start to tie federal funding, um, you know, state and federal accountability towards um, knowledge acquisition and skill acquisition and, and individual student progress, you just end up in a system that is really, really inflexible to change. Um, and, you know, I look, I think a lot of it, like when I think about our government structure, we've got three branches of government, you've got a two-thirds vote in the House and Congress to get a bill passed, then it's got to go to the President and the Supreme Court can be, you know, all these different things can happen. And that system was designed so that only things that everybody agreed on were passed. Mm -hmm. the, the hard part now is, is that that system has come, become so complex that hardly anything gets passed. Um, and it becomes very partisan and, and everything kind of gets crazy. And I look at our system of education a lot of the same way, that it's, it's very, very hard to penetrate the shell of that system and make changes to the inner gears of that system because the system was designed to basically um, be inflexible. It was designed to not be agile. It was designed to, to do a certain thing and it's done it very well for a long time. And um, you know, 80% of your district workforce are teachers. And so now you're changing ideologies. You're changing um, the way people think. And if people who have worked in a system for 20 years also went through that system as children now, right? And then their parents and grandparents went through that system and they say, well, that system worked fine for me right. or it, it did this for me. Now you end up in an ideological battle um, or a philosophical battle with people um, in which it's really hard for them to, to think about things being different because that's all they know. And right. that's totally logical. Um, but that doesn't mean that those things should not be debated, challenged, um, deemed valid after new ideas are tried, you know? Right. So, so what do we show those people that 
to show that this current education system, because uh, I agree with you, it is an outdated model. It needs to change. What do we show those people um, to, to kind of show them that this model is harming our kids more than it's helping them? Well, that's tough. I mean, um, you know, and, and let's look at the positive. Like, in a, in a suburban area, um, you know, you're a, a, a child's school system is providing an ACT score to get into college, right? Mm -hmm. Which parents deem valuable. It's providing a GPA. It's providing a safe environment for kids to go so that they're not out running around doing crazy stuff, assuming you think they would do that. Um, you know, if you go to an urban setting, you know, you could say that school systems in, in, in very low socioeconomic places or very poverty-ridden places, um, you know, kids are getting a connection to adults that they don't have at home. They're getting a free meal. They're getting eight hours a day of um, music and exercise and art in those classes. So on the outside looking in, there's a lot of things that are probably positive about kids going to school. And I would argue that's, that's okay. Um, or I would say that's okay. I think the tough part is the fact that it could be a lot better. Right? right, like you could, nothing that, that we're doing is necessarily horrible or insidious or, or crazy. It was just a model for a different time. And you could argue that the cumulative effect of that model is having an effect on kids that isn't as positive as it could be. As entrepreneurs, as um, you know, knowledge seekers, as people who are self-sustaining later in life. Um, and I think, I think the thing we just have to do is very thoughtfully um, design models that challenge that and let, you know, educate people just like you would with um, clean water or, um, you know, sex ed or anything. You know what I mean? Sure. Like you just have to, you know, you have to let people try new things. So I think it's really important for public systems, um, public school districts to work to develop things that challenge the status quo within a public system so that public school parents um, can have access to it, look at it, try it out, say, oh, this feels weird, but my kid's happier, right? So to me, it seems very simplistic, but I used to just say, I say the same thing with teaching and coaching as I have for 20 years. Like if, you're, if your kid is pretty happy, don't mess with it. You know what I mean? Like, right. um, you know, Sometimes it's as simple as, hey, did you enjoy what you did today at school? Like, did you feel like you had control over what you did today at school? Do you feel like you are, you know, cared about at school? Like, and I just think that we can probably take a lot of those things to another level, another tier, mm -hmm. if we start to kind of thoughtfully redesign um, what the structures in the school day look like for kids and start to give them, um, you know, uh, a menu-based framework that is more personalized around who they are and where they want to go individually, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, and before we do get to uh, what you're doing differently here at the Academy, um, I wanted to ask you, over the 13 years that we're in public education, what is the most important thing a student can come out of that with? Man. That is a really, it's a really great question. It's really a tough question because it's probably subjective to, you know, any, every family you ask is going to answer that differently, right? It's almost kind of like religion. Like, 
everybody's going to have a different view about that. Some might say basic math skills, basic reading skills, understanding of life sciences, right? Um, for me personally, um, I think it's the it's the acceptance of the fact that you as an individual are responsible for your own education. Like you are responsible for your choices, you're responsible for um, pursuing the things that you're interested in, um, but that you own your own process and that you come away feeling like you are allowed to be the narrator of your own story. And that does not exist right now in schools um, or in 99% of school systems. Um, so for me, I'm probably on the extreme of that because that's where I think we should be going and, and pushing to slowly, fastly, whatever you want to, you know, however, whatever pace you want to go. But to me, that personally, that is that that is the end goal that I think is most important is that that kids leave going, hey, whatever comes next, I'm ready for it. Like, and and I I can find it, I can go get it, I'm ready for it, I believe in myself, I value myself, and whatever I want to pursue, I am capable of pursuing it. And that type of self-belief cannot grow or develop without agency, without authentic failure, um, and without a system that allows kids to own their own process. So for me, um, there are things that, that a kid may not learn as much of in that system, but I would rather see a kid leave a system going, hey, if I need to learn how to do this, I can go do it. If I need to learn how to do this, I can go do it. If I, I, I know that I want to go try this. And, and to really have a different mindset about um, future engagement, to be honest. Like most kids leave our system now and they're not sure what to do. Like they leave at 18 and they don't really know what, what, what they want to do. So they choose the military, they choose college, um, they choose a, a job somewhere, but they really don't know for sure what they should be doing, so they just do what's culturally accepted. Right. And then if that puts kids in debt, or it makes them feel like failures because they're trying something and they're not successful. So a lot of this is about helping kids grow up in an environment that completely shifts their mindset about failure and what failure is. And the fact that failure does not exist unless you stop investing in yourself. And the moment you stop believing in yourself and investing in yourself, that's when you can start talking about uh, the concept of failure. But if you believe in yourself and you're continually investing in yourself, then there's no way you can fail. And you're just, you're just, Figuring out what you want to do at that point, which is which is healthy for anybody. Right, that's so, great. Yeah, so that's that's again a long story, long statement, but that's what I would say is most important for kids coming out of a of a long term system.
Right. That's great. I love what you said about failure and how failure isn't really failure unless you completely give up and stop. Yeah. Completely stop. Yeah. Whatever you're doing. Yeah. And I completely agree that kids should be coming out of our public education system with a sense of agency, a yeah. sense that I can do these, th- I can do this as long as I set my mind to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Things like that. No, I mean, there's a quote that's in the library over there, and I'm going to see it. And I love Albert Einstein because of his views on, on education and knowledge and, and innate intelligence. And I've always read a lot of the things that he said, not about science, but about people and society and education. Mm. And one of his quotes is, if you, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb trees, it'll, believe its whole, it'll, it'll go through its whole life believing it's stupid. Right. And you think about that, and you think, well... How many things do kids leave school thinking they can do or they can't do? Most of our kids leave school and they say, yeah, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this. I didn't excel in math. So I'm, not a, I'm not good at math. Um, I tried this, but I'm not good at it. Um, and, you know, if I don't know that we want kids judging themselves by the by the things they can't do, you know? I mean, um, so I just think it gets, it gets really tricky in, in, in that situation because you're in, a, you're in a system that potentially should be built around helping kids figure out the things that they can do versus the things that they can't do, sure. if that makes sense. And so a lot of our kids leave a system thinking that they can't learn certain things or they're not good at certain things, when maybe that had a little bit to do with their engagement and their environment and their agency um, while they were figuring out whether or not they were good or not at something. Does that make sense? Yeah. The process matters, I guess that is what I should say. The process matters. Yes. Um, I agree. Almost all of the belief that I have found in myself has occurred outside mm-hmm. of my education. Yeah, and you're a super high achieving kid. Well, so. thank you. Um, yeah. I I look around at some of my peers and I, I feel like the education system has completely failed them in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to move to what you're doing differently here at the Academy. Um, what, yeah, what are you doing differently here and in what pursuit, um, in the pursuit of what are you doing it for? Well, I mean, um, if you, I mean, I can go into a little bit of our, of how we got here, if you want sure. to do that, um, and then talk about what we do now that we're kind of here, ideally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we started on a process about four to five years ago of, of simply um, not being scared to completely redesign um, the concept of school over here. And we are a 100-person at-risk alternative school in the Liberty Public School District with, uh, that serves both uh, Liberty and Liberty North high school students. And um, that was the first thing. Uh, you know, I think... When I came over here, um, I had personally, I'd been studying a lot of these things for a long time. And 
a lot of different a lot of different ideas were starting to converge for me. They're starting to connect and all become interconnected to some degree. And so by the time I got over here um, and started working with Melissa Norris, who's the principal, we came in at the same time and started to challenge the notion of what school was. Um, she gave me a lot of autonomy to start to run with ideas that, that I had had. And the first concept was um, what is now called the Unschool Challenge, which was just simply the idea that if we we're going to start to redesign what school looks like for high school kids, one of the first things kids don't have that they need is time to explore the things that they're interested in and the things they might want to do after high school. And so we started off with really the idea that, you know, in order to redesign something, you have to understand its problems in a very, very complex way, all the way down to its root. And then you have to think about what is what is school not doing that it should be doing? And you have to figure that out. And that takes, you could have a thousand different answers to that question. But I knew what mattered to me and, and based on the research I had done and, and based on the things that I had learned and thought about and read for a long time. And so we started out with that idea that we've got to create a way, a platform um, that is very agile and flexible for kids to explore the things that interest them. So we started to design a reverse internship design challenge model, now known as the Unschool Challenge, where um, kids could basically do really, really flexible and agile um, projects with real companies and organizations, um, projects that, that we basically, I would go out and design with companies and um, that would allow kids to work part of their time on those projects at school while still having a connection to a real company that was authentic. And so if you look at the concept of an internship or an apprenticeship, um, those things are largely unsustainable um, across all school districts, across a local ecosystem. Um, you can't get every kid that wants an internship, an internship, because it puts so much responsibility and liability and pressure on the companies to provide those that it becomes uh, a little bit of a complex mess. And so um, what we did was just simply say, well, let's just reverse that and invert it. And let's say that, let's get rid of the fact that a kid needs to be on site for a year or a semester. Let's get rid of the fact that a kid needs to be alone and that company by himself and let's get rid of the transportation costs and let's let's figure out a way to do those things without any of those impediments and so uh, we just said well you know we'll give kids every quarter we'll, we'll work with companies to design eight different projects with eight different companies along a certain career strand um, and i would go out and design those projects with those companies uh, and then I'd work with those companies to find a point person to design it, to create an open-ended project that would, that would help kids explore what people did in that profession. And then I would bring that menu back to our students here, and every quarter we would show those kids that menu, we'd allow kids to choose something off that menu, and then every Thursday afternoon, kids would work in their team led by one teacher or professional who would just kind of oversee that process and kids would work on those projects for those companies. 
So what really what we were doing was really authentic PBL, project-based learning, um, which is really um, what lots of places have, have started to go to in different ways. Most people are still doing that PBL inside a subject area-based classroom. Um, for me personally, that's a little bit of a mistake, but that's part of not being able to shift the process as fast as you need to shift it. So, um, so we did that Thursday afternoons. We did that for three semesters. Uh, by the time we were done, we had probably 50 to 60 different company partnerships that we were working with. And we continued to use that inertia to redesign the entire school day. So we went from doing things like that that were out of the box, to challenge teachers, to challenge grading, challenge assessment, challenge how you work with kids, challenge the concept of agency we know at school. And we started to use that to leverage something brand new. And so we created that start. That was kind of like the small snowball that we pushed down the hill. And we pushed that one down the hill because we knew that had the power to change a lot of other things. So now what you see here is just a completely different redesigned concept of school. Uh, we have no classrooms. Um, our teachers have no desks. Our teachers basically live out in the world of kids all day long. We take probably 20 to 25 trips a week where kids can volunteer. Uh, they can work with a company. Uh, they, and those things come from their own menu creation that they work with an advisor to create. And now basically every aspect of, of what kids do here is agency-based, autonomous, um, personalized, and uh, credit embedded. And so kids embed and personalize and manipulate uh, the same credit and the same coursework that they would do at any other school, but they can manipulate those standards and those pieces and integrate those in other projects where they see fit with the acceptance of an advisor. So now every six weeks, uh, kids work with their advisor to build a, a what we call a burst menu, um, which is the idea that every six weeks kids go through a new burst and they explore things they're interested in. And mm -hmm. so they help other people, they explore careers, they um, so know, they build their own skills. curriculum. Yeah, they build their own curriculum. And, and what we've done in order to do that, you had to take the curriculum that currently exists in Liberty Public Schools and you had to have enough intelligence to redesign it and reframe it and remap it so that each piece of it could be manipulated for an individual student's menu. That's the hard part that most schools become overwhelmed with and, and, and why a lot of changes have happened is because a lot of people struggle with both the concrete and the abstract pieces that have to happen, the, the philosophical pieces have to be there in the beginning, but then you've got to be able to take your philosophy and your vision and find the, the right pieces of concrete things to change in order to make that philosophy and vision work. And so that's probably my forte at this point in my career is being able to understand the long-term scope and vision of things abstractly, but then figuring out how to take which things to take concretely and move and wrestle with and reform and redesign in order to get to that place where you're living your vision. Mm -hmm. So, and that's the part that I enjoy. At this point. And then, and then comes the problem: how do you scale that to yeah. an entire country? Yeah, totally. I mean, to and get, that's to unlock really, everyone's potential. Yeah, and really, you know, to be honest, like I'm, 
what we've done here is we are all super proud of this. I mean, we have uh, an unbelievable staff of, you know, 15 to 16 people who all are totally invested in this vision of simply working with kids all day long. We just work with kids. We just help them with their ideas. We support them, we love them. Um, we don't tell them that any idea is a bad idea and, and we don't try to micromanage their life. Um, we try to mentor them and guide them. Um, and, but as great as what we are doing here is, I would argue that what we wanna to get to is a system where our current system simply redesigns or has a lot of little pieces of competition. You know, if you think about any good economy, it exists because there's competition, Okay. right? I mean, if you think about what drives down the lowest price, it's because there's competition. You don't have a monopoly. Well, the school system as we know it is a monopoly, right? Right. I mean, it, yes. there's, there's not a challenger to it except charter schools or homeschooling or things like that, but it's a monopoly. Which are expensive options. Yeah, sure. Or, or they are um, not as culturally accepted, right. maybe, right? So, so what you've had is you've had a system of education that's kind of monopolized our culture and monopolized um, our kids for about 100 years. And now we're just realizing that that system is maybe not the best thing for our kids anymore, but we're stuck in a 10 to 20 period, year period of kind of like redesign where it's kind of messy, you know, where, where it's one thing to recognize that a system needs to be changed, which more and more people are. It's another thing to, to understand the system on a deep enough level to understand how to change it and what, what, what gears to shift first. And I think over here, what we realized was we, we understand what gears to shift first and we did it. Now the hard part is creating um, little models that are different, the same. You know, we don't want a thousand models of this. Uh, we want, right. you know, a thousand models that, that, that help people, introduce people to what is possible with their kids that are all based on the same parameters of agency, of ownership, of choice, of, uh, you know, foundational curriculum, right? So, um, of mentorship. Um, so, you know, I think that's the start. All, we, all we're doing here is probably starting the fire. Okay. You know, like we're, we've kind of started a fire here. We're now working with lots of other buildings who want to who come over and look at what we do and say, how did you guys do this? This is what we want to do. This is what kids need. And so we help them start to transform there and they'll help other schools in their region transform. So it's just, it's just kind of understanding your part in the process and the fact that if you, you know, if you care about something um, enough, then, then you have a responsibility to try to help make it better for other people. And I think that's all we, all we believe. Right. Yeah. So it is interesting that you brought up competition. Mm -hmm. And so I, I did want to get your opinion on, uh, Milton Friedman's idea of a voucher system in America. Uh, so in 1955, he came up with this idea of, well, first he criticized uh, the American government for imposing on uh, the education system yeah. and actually carrying out the, actually administering the education uh, instead of just funding it. And so I did some research on that, and I found out that the average uh, funding per student per year was yeah. $12,000 um, in America in 2019. Yeah. And so I, so yeah, I just wanted your opinion on what if we gave that 
$12,000 to uh, the parents of students and they could freely choose between any of their education options? Yeah. Well, it's a great question. I think we're probably 10 years away from having, the first thing you've got to do is look at that, as a, at the challenges to that situation. If you, the idea of giving parents choice over the school that they choose for their kids is ideal and great. However, when most parents have grown up in this system, it's very hard for them to think deeper than the system they grew up in. So therefore you have to basically help expose and educate parents to the positive things that could come out of an alternative system. So they would even feel comfortable choosing a different model than the one they were in, which is a really big impediment and inhibits a lot of change. It's just the mindset, right? Like what we talked about. The second thing you'd have to have is inventory, right? Right now, you don't have inventory for that. Like you could give, we could give all these Meaning parents, we don't have the options? Yeah, like yeah, you just okay. don't have, like, you know, um, if I say I wanna go, I'm gonna give every, every family in America $10 and you go buy the type of potato chip you want, people would be like, oh, great. But they have a thousand different types of potato chips to choose from, right? Currently, right. it already exists, it's on the shelves, right? Right now, if you gave every parent that option, one, they are impeded by geography, mm -hmm. so they can't drive their kid two hours to school, right? They might be impeded by technological um, progress and whether or not their, their region, whether it's rural or, or uh, urban, has access to technology and in the internet or things like that, so there are impediments to that. And then three, um, you have most families start to say, well, I'd like to choose something different, but in a 90 minute geographical radius of where I live, there's no school that is a challenger or competitor to the model that exists in my community, right? Mm -hmm. So when you look at that situation, I think that situation is probably what we'll get to eventually and technology will actually catalyze that process. Technology will actually streamline a parent's ability to choose the type of education they want for their kid and what they want to prescribe to um, going forward. Kind of like Netflix and Hulu. Like you might be able to totally say, I want to try out this district for, for this amount of time because they offer this, right. but, and I'm going to allocate my tax dollars over here uh, in 2022 because I tried this district and I didn't like it and now I'm going to try this district or I'm going to try this program that's online mm -hmm. and my kid's going to try all these things and they're going to eventually figure out who they are and what they value, right? Um, but the first thing you've got to do in order for that to come to fruition is build an inventory, right? So we, our school, that, the school that we have created here could not function if we had not built a menu that was authentic for kids, right? right? So if we gave all the kids all these options to choose their, to design their menu, but then we didn't actually have a place for them to go experience the things that were on their menu. Right, and when you say menu, it's 
all the company uh, yeah, projects right. that you uh, right. it's, it's, you've worked it's together to build. It's the, hey, I, we're going to go to the Senior Citizen Center and volunteer. We're right. going to go we'll help with animals at the Wayside Ways. We're going mm-hmm. to bring in somebody that helps kids understand how to make a documentary and have them talk with them, mm-hmm. right? Like, so what we have had to do is build, is build an infrastructure that's insulated um, around a network of authentic opportunity, mm-hmm. right? And exposure and access. So that to me is the key is in creating a lot of this is to kind of break down the physical walls that exist in a school system or in a school uh, itself and start to realize that with technology, you now have access, you can get started giving kids access and exposure to other things, but then they have to be able to act on those things, you know? Otherwise, you're just stuck doing fake work inside a subject-based classroom, right? right? Like I go to science class and I do, I pretend that I'm going to invent something and it's gonna to go to market, right? And then mm-hmm. I go to entrepreneurship class and then I go to this class. And in every class, I'm doing simulated projects right. that aren't real. But that's because we can't get outside the walls of the school and connect with real people because um, that would be risky, right? Or it might be dangerous, or there might be you know, liability that goes along with that. And so we stay insulated inside our school walls. And so that's what we've broken down here is, is we've kind of gotten rid of that structure and replaced it with really authentic access, exposure, and opportunity. And then we allow the kids to use that access, exposure, and opportunity to realize that they can design their own menu and whatever they want to try is ideally possible. um, And we let them run with it, you know? But that is where what we do here is different than a traditional school is because we had to build that inventory and that menu first that was authentic, otherwise, none of that would have worked. So the voucher system is awesome. I mean, it's, it's a great idea, but the way that our communities are set up geographically in this country with the service area we have, um, with a mix of rural agricultural life and urban city life and suburban life on the outskirts of cities, you really need um, access to an online platform or you know hundreds of online platforms offer your kids different types of things that are experiential um, or you need multiple competitors inside one geographical region so that if you did give parents a voucher they would have lots of different choices and they'd be able to educate themselves and tour those buildings and check out those choices so they could start to figure out what fits them and right now those choices don't exist so what you see is school districts and school systems start to try to redesign in their own communities so that they become a one-size-fits-all we can help every kid in every way in a school district some school districts are very slow to that process some are more progressive but that's what you're seeing start to happen because it's very hard for competitors to come into the nationalized model we have and challenge it right. you know charters have um you know you've got some places like we've talked about Sudbury Valley School um, which is a free school in Massachusetts so you've got lots of you got you know maybe private schools that are religious based so you have some but they usually exist on the outskirts of a national model and so they don't really threaten that model mm-hmm. at all because that model is huge and these are little dots on the outside of that model and so they don't really ever put pressure to change that model on the inside 
And so now you start to see school districts start to realize that and change a little bit on their own. They just sometimes need help figuring out how to do that. Okay. I liked how you mentioned maybe an online platform to help kids get connected with this type of mm -hmm. learning menu that you've built here. Mm -hmm. And so to explore that a little bit, I, I want to ask what is the process of um, talking to a company, getting a project set up uh, with them? Well, I mean, it really depends. Um, you know, the, the, the main, in, in the, over the last five years, I mean, I have personally, because I kind of took this challenge on and wanted to make sure it was almost perfect for kids and we did everything we said we wanted to do. Um, you know, I've probably worked with a hundred different companies and organizations around the city. Um, I probably know the majority of, of people involved in trying to make change happen in, in Kansas City. So um, it's put me in a position to kind of be connected to lots of companies and lots of people and lots of organizations um, who, are, who are all trying to facilitate this same type of work. I'm probably a little bit more extreme on the kids' side, agency side, than just a lot of people are very career-based. Right, a lot of schools are transitioning to career development, career preparation. Right, um, so so I'll answer your question in two parts. One is the person that goes to the company to talk with them about developing a partnership. That conversation is going to be dictated by what that person wants to get out of that partnership. Okay. Right. So for for me personally, it was exploration. It was we wanted to partner with a company to help us design an innovative and progressive way for a kid to explore the types of skills they might engage in if they did this for a living, right? But the whole, the bottom line is exploration because as a young kid, school is a place where there should be no risk, right? As yes. soon as you leave school, we've talked about that. As soon as you leave school and you graduate, as an adult in this country, you feel risk. You feel the weight of your decisions. You feel guilty if you don't make certain decisions based on who you are and where you're from, right? And the time that we should be allowing kids to take on risk so they build a mindset of being able to manage risk and see risk differently is in our K through 12 system, right? So what we want to do is help kids use their time in our system to simply understand that taking on really good risk is positive, right? Like there's, there's, that's great. Like you explore and explore yeah. and explore. Take and explore. on risk when there is yeah. very little consequence. Yeah. Take on risk when the risk does not do anything except help you understand yourself mm -hmm. and make better future choices, right? So, um, as soon as you, you, you graduate, all of a sudden money becomes an issue, where you're gonna live becomes an issue, college tuition becomes an issue. You know, you are now a functional adult in our society, or deemed to be. Mm -hmm. And most people don't even have that figured out by the time they're 30, you know, but we expect kids to do that at 18. But then we're not putting them through a system that helps them feel totally competent and enabled to manage that paradigm at 18. So the only way to do that is to back that system up from K through 12 and help them really live that process so that feels comfortable at 18. 
and they feel okay with what's next, right? So for me as a person going in to work with a company, I'm going in with the context of, can you help us provide exploration, right? I go in, sometimes it would take me three different phone calls to a company, a big one like Cerner, or KCPNL or Chateau Milk or um, you know uh, Wayside Waves or KC Pet Project, and I have to get to the right from the person who answers the phone to the person in um, you know public relations to the person in outreach, and eventually I have to be I have to be persuasive enough and authentic enough in the conversation I have with each of those people. So that those people hear in my voice that that I believe we need to do something better for kids, right? So that's that's the start of that process. Is the fact that eventually, what you want to do is is simply connect with people. And usually, when you get face to face with someone at a company organization, and you start talking about school and children and their kids and and our own kids and their experiences in school and what they wish they would have had and the schools and the school you're trying to build and what you're trying to provide for kids they cannot wait to help because they just they've been waiting for for a way to help schools most businesses and organizations are just waiting for a way to help schools but because of the, the structure of our school is subject based and rigid and the curriculum is very rigid most agencies and organizations, companies don't have a platform to come into schools in a very agile, exploratory right. way. So, what what are the, some of the concerns that these companies have? What are some of the? Well, I mean, the concerns are like in the beginning are just like, well, it's going to cost me money, right? Right? It's going to cost me time. Um, are you going to need resources from us? Are you going to be pulling people away from their jobs? Right? Um, what is your? How are you going to grade? How are you going to determine whether or not this was successful? Right? So. But to me, that is probably why we, in the beginning, took the concept of an internship and redesigned it, is because we wanted to, we knew those questions would be there. Right. So we've got to design away from those questions so those questions are relevant. So now when you talk to a company, you say, well, no, like you don't have to get them there. They're always going to be with the teacher. They're going to do most of their work at school. They just might need to email you or call you, right? Um, they, we just need an authentic, problem for a kid to try and solve, something for a kid to redesign, something for them to tackle um, that is authentic and real and introduces them to a line of work or something like that. Um, and so that's, for what we do, um, that keeps that process really agile and flexible. And so then when a company usually hears that there's really no, you know, it's not gonna cost them money, it's not gonna take time away from people, usually they say, yeah, this is awesome. Why didn't I, I wish my kids could go to school or I wish I would have had that school because I hated school or I did this in school, you know, or I didn't think I was good at this. So I did this in college. Right. And so you start to have these conversations about how much, how much their experience in school has affected where their future went. Right. And so you end up in this really great conversation where they just want to help. And I think that's the key is, is figuring how to leverage your local and geographic community so that the school and the community just simply coexist, 
they are, it's all called school. You know, it's all called yes. learning at that point. Like they work together constantly, which is kind of what we did before industrialized school, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, every everybody in a community helped raise every kid, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and, and they helped those kids learn this, and they helped them learn this, and if somebody was good at this, they helped them with that. And we just we just compartmentalized school, and we siloed it, and we subjected it out of curiosity and interest. And now we have to kind of deconstruct it and disrupt it a little bit and try to, you know, on a macro scale, make it more like it was organic um, 125 years ago. But that's just hard after 125 years of structure. Right. You know? It's hard to make change. Yeah, it's hard to make change. Okay. I like that. Uh, I would like to transition a little bit into uh, coaching and how you see sports playing into education and so I guess I'm wondering how do you see sports and an education connect so tell me tell me again tell me again the, the question you want me to answer um, how, so you were my tennis coach yeah um, in, in what yeah what role does uh sports and being coached uh play in a child's development well in your view i mean over i mean i mean i've I've, first of all i would say i have always been an outlier i've always been an anomaly probably in the way that i think non-traditionally about working with kids and about school and most people associated with school systems, whether it's teachers or, you know, whoever. I've always found that as they become adults and professionals in that system, they start to shift away from thinking about that system from a kid's perspective and and look at it from an adult's or professional's perspective, if that makes sense. So I have always, for whatever reason, tried to stay really, really true to looking at everything we do in school or coaching from the child's perspective. Mm-hmm. Whereas most adults probably look at the curriculum they teach, how they interact with kids, those things, what they, how they coach them, they probably look at it from their perspective as the adult before they look at it from the kid's perspective as the player. So that's, I'm just throwing that in because I think that's shifted, that's always made probably my mindset about the process of coaching and teaching a little bit different and a bit of a, an anomaly. Um, but to me, I mean, what, you, what we're doing here at the academy and what, what we're doing with our soccer and tennis programs, Liberty North, or, or our, the youth teams, soccer teams I, I coach for my own son, um, they're all the same thing, right? It's all the same thing. Um, it's helping kids take ownership of their process. It's, it's helping them understand that failure is okay to accept challenge, to accept, to accept adversity. Um, 
to help them continually feel as though they are the ones that are in charge of their own development. Yes. Like I'm, I may be the person that has some experience coaching tennis and I have experience working with kids, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I need to consistently use that experience to infringe upon your right as a player or student to make your own decisions or go your own way. And that's probably a lot different belief than most coaches or most teachers for that matter. Um, and that just stems from my own personal belief that, that every person I come in contact with, especially every kid I come in contact with, is my equal, is, is we are equal. We're, we're, we're here sharing this earth, sharing what we do, trying to help each other live good lives. Um, and I think if you start out with that process or that mindset, at that point, um, that means you have to respect um, every, every kid you coach, every person you help, every, every player you come in contact with. And, and that just permeates a lot of what we do in our programs and at our school. And so, um, you know, I think that is the start of mentor-based agency and mentor-based learning is the idea that all these adults are resources for you to use, but none of them should be trying to dictate who you become and control you to be something that they want you to become for their own benefit, right? Mm -hmm. So that's unethical in my opinion, mm -hmm. and it's harmful to kids. So um, if a kid chooses to play, play soccer for three years and decides to play a different sport, and who cares, right? Like I'm still gonna love that kid, I'm still gonna help that kid, I'm still gonna be nice to that kid. Like that kid's just exploring something else at that point. Of course. That's, that's their right. That's what they should be doing, right? Is, is thinking about the choices they want to make and trying to explore other things. So whether it's theater or band or whatever it is. And so many times I just think as professional people, um, we get wrapped up in our own profession and our own classroom, our own subject, our own sport, our own goals and agendas. And we forget that um, the foundation of our own learning and our own purpose is mutual agency, you know, yeah. and that we can learn as much from kids as they can learn from us, if not more. And that starts with simply um, changing the way we work with kids so they feel, so it feels different, you know? And yes. I always, I mean, I've talked to you about this. I mean, I always hope that, that your four years in our tennis program, you know, when you think about what you got out of it, it's probably going to be hard to put your finger on it, but my hope is that it just felt different, right? It just felt good. It felt positive. It felt like it felt you owned like it. A, you know, a good experience. Yeah, yes. like it, it had simply added value to your life. Positive. Yeah. Um, yes. So I mean, so that's so I think that's a difference. You know, it's it's not about a short-term goal. It's about a long-term goal. But that long-term goal means that a lot of times you have to put. Um, you know, some finite goals and some short-term goals aside for the betterment of the kids you're working with. Right. You know, and have a bigger perspective on things. Right. And so you kind of mentioned that 
teaching and coaching are very similar, if not the same, yeah, same yeah, thing. The same. Uh, is there anything unique about coaching that you can transfer over to education? Well, I mean, I think, um, I think over for a long time, um, you know, when I first started coaching, uh, again, like I mentioned, I probably always had a little bit of a different mindset about things, and I always wanted kids to enjoy the process and never take it too seriously. Um, but um, I think the thing that that I probably try to do over time is simply always think about what the experience looks like from the player's perspective. And, and or whether, the student's perspective. Or the student's perspective, right. yeah. You know, just the, the, the fact that um, really in the end, like your, your job is to help kids. Like your job is to serve kids, it's to help kids, it's to mentor kids, it's to help them figure stuff out, to add value to their life. And whether or not we're, you know, doing that in a menu-based, personalized academic program like Liberty Academy, or whether or not it's through a sport of soccer or tennis, there are specialized pieces of information that kids need help with and need to learn in order to do those things. But in reality, that's kind of your job, you know, and, and, and when kids leave, only one or 2% of those kids are gonna play anything in college, right? Mm -hmm. um, only a handful of kids in an academic setting are going to know exactly what they wanna do when they leave high school or be doing the thing that they said they were gonna be doing 10 years after they leave high school. So if we know that that our job is is really to just kind of help kids learn how to manage their own process and manage their own lives and and always use the context of whatever we're doing to help them grow in those areas. Um, then I think you're always you're always in the right right mindset to help kids grow, if that makes sense. Um, totally. And so. I don't know, and so I just think that's always been important to me. I've always tried to keep perspective on on what we were doing, when we were doing it, so that I modeled the right perspective, win, lose, whatever, and just tried to be focused on the right things at the right time, um, so that kids, you know, life is just a process. You know, it's just a process. It's, you know, I could, I could you know, anybody could, life is short. Anybody could go at any time, right? So it's like, um, do you believe in what you're doing? Is what you're doing helping other people, making the world a better place, making a contribution? Um, and and if it is, how can you always be mindful of how to do it better and how to do it with a better, more servant-like attitude? Um, and and continue to challenge yourself and be innovative and. I think if you do that, then you're going to sleep pretty good at night, you know. And so, at this, at 45 years old, that's that's kind of how I judge my days and what I do for a living. You know, I 
I don't have a lot of regrets, knock on wood. I sleep pretty good at night because I'm usually tired from what I do during the day. Um, and, I, and I really, really had good interactions with people all throughout the day. And I don't know, for me personally, that makes me, that fills my own bucket. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like my life is purposeful. And then having the autonomy to maybe do some of these things that are innovative, both with coaching and with school, just makes it that much better. Because I don't know that I would still be in these professions if I had to live in a structure that was dictating how I coached or how I taught anymore. Um, I've always pushed that envelope, but I think after a while you have to figure out how to, how to, how to stay in a profession and get to a place where, where, you, where you can get what you need from that system. And if you can't, you have to find something else to do, you know, which I was close to doing. I think that is a beautiful place to end it. That was yeah. a yeah. great thing. Um, thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. I always, yeah. always enjoy talking to you and talking about this stuff.